Welcome to Monster Madness Podcast. On tonight's episode, we are talking about badass mofos named Chuck Norris in the movie Invasion USA from 1985, starring Chuck Norris as Hunter. Uh, you have Chuck Norris as he's a CIA agent, Matt, full name is Matt Hunter, Richard Lynch as Mike Rostov, Melissa Prophet as Dahlia McGuire, Alexander Zale as Nico Kedar, Alex Cologne as Thomas. Eddie Jones as FBI agent in charge, Cassidy. John DeVries as FBI agent, Johnson. Johnston. James O'Sullivan as FBI agent, Harper. Billy Drago as Mikey Seidman. Jamie Sanchez as Castillo. Delberti as John Eagle. Stephen Markle as Flynn. Shane McCamey, McCamey as Kurt Schnell. Martin Shaker as CIA agent Adams. James Pax as Cato Gata. This is one heck of a ride. Fun, fun, fun movie. You get Chuck Norris being a badass. You get carnage of cars, destruction. You get people gunned down in violence. Random shootings. Destruction. So, this movie the plot of this film is a group of cuban refugees is on a boat sailing from the united states and is at first met by what appears to be a u.s coast guard boat so in the beginning you get the opening scene with the coast guard that has intercepted a cuban refugee boat they have this man on the boat. They have this man on a boat. And so the refugees, um, in the beginning, the refugees get all gunned down and mauled down. And then the guy they have on the boat, they toss, they force him onto the, the refugee boat and say, where? And say, down there. And they find all that cocaine. Tons and kilos of cocaine on that. The captain of the vessel declares that the refugees are welcomed to the United States. Because so they, they said, yeah, you're welcome here. Kind of trickery. And they, uh, but the guardsmen open fire on them and take several bags of cocaine hidden in the boat. Yep, they take all that after they gunned them all down. It is revealed that the 
armed personnel were Latin American guerrillas disguised as guardsmen on board a hijacked Coast Guard vessel. Dun, dun, dun. Eventually, the Coast Guard finds the boat with the murdered American Coast Guardsmen off the coast of Florida. This movie takes place in Florida because you see the Everglades and I was like, that's not Louisiana, it's not the bayou, that's the Everglades. The FBI and the Miami Police Department arrive at the docks to investigate the murders. The guerrillas land in Florida and exchange the drugs for weaponry from a drug dealer. They are led by the Soviet operative Mikhail Rostov, which they just mostly pronounce him in the film in the film as Rostov. Richard Lynch, played by Richard Lynch, uh, actor best known for portraying villains in films and television. Uh, the fake Coast Guard captain who opened fire on the Cuban refugees, former CIA agent Matt Hunter. So, Chuck Norris is a former CIA agent who they end up uh, getting him to go back to do another job, secret job, that the local law enforcement don't know that he's doing to take down... Rasta once and for all. Uh, CIA agent Matt Hunter Norris is asked to come out of retirement, but he declines. So, the guy shows up at his house in the in the middle of the Everglades. Literally, it's in the Everglades, and he unknowingly uh, he enters the house without Chuck Norris. Answering the door, Chuck Norris quickly grabs him by and puts his arm around his throat, and then he says, "I'm not interested." When Rostov and a team of guerrillas destroy Hunter's residence, so he's like, "I'm not interested because you know, I was I was to do a job and involve Rostov, and I had the opportunity to kill him, and." You wouldn't let me kill him. So now, it's your problem. Now it becomes your problem. Well, lo and behold, it ends up becoming Hunter's problem once again. And he's kind of forced uh, into having to do it. Because Rostov's uh, lynchmen, uh, team of guerrillas, as they call it, uh, on their airboats, Came to his house, shot up the place, but his friend who owns an airboat, okay, back up a little bit, his friend who owns an airboat company got there right as they were coming and yelled to him, get out! So Chuck Norris, right at that moment, jumps through the window inside the house while they're firing, right when they're firing at the house, so they... Totally didn't see him jump out the window. Then they used their grenade launchers on their guns to blow up the place. And they're like, oh, alright. Caught it on fire, blew it up, and turned around and left. 
They didn't say, hey, go up there, check. Make sure he's, he's dead. Nope. They just blew it up and left. Uh, destroy Hunter's residence in the Everglades. And kill his friend, John Eagle. Who was played by Del Bertie. Berte or Bertie was a try cheer kaha apache actor is apache indian actor who often appeared in westerns one of one of his more recognized roles was as john taylor on the 1988 to 1991 cbs western television series paradise starring lee Horsley as the reformed gunfighter Ethan Allen Cord. In a fatal assassination attempt, Hunter is convinced to reconsider. So he's so basically now he's got a vendetta against Rostov and wants to kill him himself. So his friend So his friend carries his friend into the house and then torches the house. So, before I go any further, what I thought was, was cool up to this point was, uh, in the beginning, you get the, the boat with the refugees and they kill them all. They tell them, yeah, you can come on, the, you can come to America. And then they end up killing them all. And then they throw the guy on, force the guy into the boat to tell him where. And he's like, right down there in the boards of the boat and they get all like the bags of cocaine out of it and then bam right in your faces invasion usa just flash right up there right bam right in your face like, whoa whoa i thought that was freaking cool it's like bam it's like that's how it's really gonna be punches right right to your face so later that day uh Hundreds of additional guerrillas land on the beach of southern Florida and move inland using several pre-positioned trucks. So the the boats they basically got the boats on the um of the shore there on the beach and they basically hired all these people. What it looked like to me is they hired all these people and just said, "Here, here's a gun. Here's what you're gonna wear and run that direction and." Don't stop until you're done. Don't stop until we tell you. They didn't really tell them, hey, put a little act effort into it. Make it look like you're really storming the beach. No, but it was fun. It was fun. Cor corny a little bit there, but it was fun. Beach of Southern Florida and moved inland using several pre-positioned trucks. The gorillas begin their assault by destroying suburban homes. So... Basically, Rostov wanted to, um, you know, said that in 200 years, America hasn't had a foreign invader in 200 years, and we don't know how good we have it and how our freedoms will can hurt us, and he wants to take America down, so he's going around. So basically, the rest of this movie is him going around with his guerrillas 
Stick, uh, shooting up, blowing up malls, houses, Latin American people that are on the side having a good time, you know, on the block there having a good time, and causing car wrecks, car chases, while Hunter is on a vendetta to finally kill him once and for all. And when he meets him, He's gonna say time to die. That's what he said when the and when you see him when they do a flash of of when he was supposed to on assignment there to to go after Rustov and then he gets him and he's pointing the gun to his head and he's like time to die and a few seconds go by and then the next thing you know he just kicks him right in the face and didn't kill him you know and storing. And so the guerrillas begin their assault by destroying suburban homes. Alright, so at this point, I did not know anything about this movie other than the cover of it. Looked badass, looked fun. Didn't know this was going to turn into a sort of a Christmas movie because it basically has a lot of, lot of Christmas theme in it. Because it takes place around Christmas time. So I didn't know this was going to be a Christmas movie. So these houses. This, I thought this was so horrible. They're out there decorating their tree outside and everything. And here they are pulling up in their truck. Back of the pickup. Their truck and stuff. With this you know rocket launcher. And he proceeds to blow that up. Blow this one up. Blow it up. Blow it up. But not once, not once, listeners, did he reload that. An old rocket launcher, one projectile, and done. Grenade launcher, maybe. If it was a grenade launcher, maybe it had a couple grenades. But I doubt it, you know, it he didn't reload that thing, and he just kept firing and firing and firing. You know, he just kept the firing and destroyed them dang homes. That was so sad. Another group of guerrillas impersonating Miami police officers attacks a community center full of Cubans. So they were, it was like a uh, community center, but they were outside there just having a good, good old time right outside. And the two police officers, apparently they came there, police had come there and, and, Hassled them and gave them troubles before, and one's like, "Hope oh, these guys are nicer than the, these two are nicer than than the last time." And they they get out. The one guy gets out, stands up, and starts shooting them all. You get a lot of just shooting and shooting and and then leaving. Uh, center full of Cuban exporte exportees in Miami. When a squad car with genuine Miami policemen drives by to investigate the gunfire, the survivors are angrily start vandalizing their car. So they started just throwing stuff at their car, food, trash, and then they they just ended up leaving. Yep, just like police officers show up to the scene when uh, something's gone down and... 
Now they're there to do cleanup. Anyways, the FBI has no idea who is behind the attacks. Well, duh. You know, they're not like, you know, days of the internet where it's like five hours later, you, you know who already done it. And, oh, here's their... Their location. Now we can go and find them and kill them. Nope. They don't have all that technology, so it's going to take them a while to figure it out. Uh, so, Hunter and the CIA believe that Rustov is behind the attacks. Because he... They, they're like, he's not in this country. He's in another country. And it's like, no. Uh... Hunter got word that he's in this country. Now he's having to go after him. As the terrorist acts continue in Miami. So they they shooting up malls, shooting up houses, community centers. Race riots and general chaos develop within the city. Yep. So just as the terrorist, terrorists planned, they came up with this plan to kill them all, to take down the United States from within. Uh, later that night, the guerrillas start a shootout and bomb threat at a mall. Yep, you get more um, Christmas stuff in there. You get what is like a kid. I want to say he's used as a distraction. Because he's standing there. They have this truck. Like, you could win this truck or something. This Nissan pickup truck. And, um... You look kind of like... Like the... Kind of like the truck in, um... Back to Future, but... Just painted differently. But, um... And the, the security guard's looking at him like... And they're just going back and forth, looking at each other, and stand up, and then... When the... When the finally the guard's not looking, he throws the... His wad of gum... At the windshield of the truck. And the guy's like, hey! And the kid runs off. And then I think that was a diversion. Because then you get the man. Who, um. You know, has a uh, bag. Looks like it's full of presents. And shuts it down. And, he, and the lady's like, look, he left his, he left his, his uh, presents. So they go try to chase after him. And. Uh, the presence ends up kaboom. Hunter continues pursuing the terrorist. Stops. Uh, their plans to bomb a church, and then uh, he stops their plans to bomb a church. They were um, he, the guy was sitting there, you know, getting getting ready to wire up the stuff, and he goes. With the wire back to where they were, and he goes to detonate it, and he had cut the cord, and he's on top of the roof, and he's like, "It's not gonna work." And throws it down, down there to him, and he's like, "But it, it, it'll work now." And he puts, arcs the two wires together, and kaboom! Funny, cool. <laughs> uh, right. Uh, the bomb the church kills Rostov's right hand man, Nico. Alexander Zale, right? 
before it was played by Alexander Zale, right before the latter can initiate a public massacre. Right before the latter can initiate a public massacre and saves a school bus full of children. So there's a there's a scene where they uh you know, um decided to put all these kids on the bus and everybody's you know, looks like they're on the highway trying to evade and get out of the city and separate the parents from the kids. So at that moment I um was thinking when they were putting them all on the bus stupid stupid idea to put all the kids in one isolated vehicle if the parents kept their own kids, could keep them more safe, because the vehicle could travel off here, travel off there. No. The guy's in his car with the magnetic C4 with the timer attached to the side of the bus. And... Wow. Hunter has a timing, place for timing. He was there, and... He's trying to get the timer off there, and it was like 30 seconds left, and he finally gets it off at like 20 seconds, and movie time and reality time is completely way off, because he definitely did not have 30 more seconds to attach that bomb to the side of the guy's car. No. He had no, not enough time. But movie magic, yeah, 30, 20 seconds. That's a whole 30 more seconds. A minute. Yeah. And saves a school bus full of children from a bomb. However, after arriving at a carnival bombed by the terrorists, a little late, Hunter realizes that they are spread out too far for him to stop the tide of their attacks. So he's trying to stop their attacks while trying to go after Rostov. He's trying to do way too much, man. You know he's a badass and he's a CIA agent and everything. But he's only one man. Go after the one man. But he's trying to get the information and the location and understand of where, who's this, where, where is he? But however, uh, he realizes he spread way too thin to stop their attacks effectively and so devises an alternative plan. Oh, plan A is not working out so great. Let's go to plan B, shall we? Alarmed by the threat, the government establishes special theater command for the southeastern United States with the headquarters of the Georgia Pacific Tower in Atlanta at the command center. All 50 state governors and military officers meet to stop the terror attacks. The FBI takes Hunter into custody. So, for some reason, they take him into custody, trying to, for being a vigilant, vigilantism, 
vigilantism, trying to be like a Batman, taking matters in his own hands. Well, not really, because he's CIA. So, secretively, he's doing that where the CIA never told my the law enforcement in Miami that he's doing what he's doing. They take him into custody against the terrorists, and he is taken to command center where he's where he go go ads Rostov on national television to come out and kill him. Yep, Rostov orders all the guerrillas to assault the center in a mass attack. So the end of this movie. Uh. Not a twist. It's an uh, action movie, so it's not really gonna be a twist. But it it um ultimately leads to a gun, a showdown in the city, guns a blazing, army, military, police force, CIA, going back and forth with tanks, shooting and blowing up, and there's. Ultimately, do they get stopped? Does Rostov finally get killed? Does Hunter get out of being arrested? And was able to ultimately save the day and finally kill Rostov once and for all. These are the things you will find out when you watch Invasion USA. What a ride. It has some lower non-action parts, but they're needed, well-placed parts. Was there anything really funny in this? It was it was slightly cheesy a bit in a few couple spots, but not really. It was actually very done, very well done. And this is a canon film. I believe this is my first ever canon film I've ever watched. And it's a great movie. I thoroughly enjoyed myself and had so much fun. My rating for this movie on the fun factor is a 7 for just fun. It doesn't leave a lot on the table for... Like, if it was, like, a horror movie, because you'd be like, yeah, I want to watch that again. There's not a lot left. But, dude, this is so much fun. Just action. Just just a rewatchable movie. I think it's a rewatchable movie. And I watched it via, via, what was it? Via the, it was on Roku Channel. And then it's on Zumo, Zuma, Zumo TV app. Pluto TV and Tubi. So all those places you can watch it. You can believe you can rent it on uh, Amazon Prime. It's no longer on Amazon Prime for free. But because I waited way too long to watch it. But it's, um you know, very good movie to watch. Uh, let's see. There's one... Um, 
Nope, so I'd say go out, find it, rent it, even even own it. Shoot, I would own this movie. It's fun. Now, this film, which I forgot to mention in the beginning, much like B-rated movies, they're all over the place. So you get this here and you get that there and there's just why this, why that. Um, it's released September 27th, 1985. It's 107 minutes. Uh, United States is the country, English. Budget was $12 million. Box office, 17.5 million dollars. So, um, in 1985, September 27th, 1985, the weekend, uh, domestic charts, it was up against, uh, it had, uh, Invasion USA, and then it was Agnes of God, Back to the Future, and Teen Wolf. So I didn't know that Teen Wolf came out the same year as Back to the Future. Yeah. That's, that's pretty interesting. So Invasion USA grows six, six, uh, six million eight hundred and ninety one thousand six hundred nine dollars Canon film. A Agnes of God is a Sony Pictures. That's Four million two hundred and ten thousand sixty-five dollars. Um, total, you know, that's the gross. Then there was Teen Wolf by Atlantic. Um, then Pee Wee's Big Adventure, Warner Bros. Wow. Uh, let's see. Animals Fire came out that year. Rambo for His Blood Part Two. So, yeah, it, so, yeah, it did not too bad, considering what it was up against, you know, which is crazy. Norris said he got the idea to make the film after reading an article in Reader's Digest that said hundreds of terrorists were running loose in the United States. I thought, boy, that's scary, he said. What if some guy on the order of Khomeini or a Qaddafi mob, I can't pronounce any of that, those guys and started sending them out to every major city. I know this is going to happen, and even in the movie, the head terrorist says it's so easy because of the freedom of movement in this country. So we have so basically what it was is he we have freedoms. Freedom to move around, freedom to do just about anything. 
and there's a price to pay for that, and he, he's, um, you know, uh, whatchamacallit, um, using that to his advantage. Uh, so, we're really accessible to this. The movie is not meant to scare people, but to make us aware of potential problems. So, is that basically saying that he's for more surveillance, more, uh, tighter, um, laws type stuff? We're trying to make a statement here, he said. This is about the people of the United States. So... Uh, the film debuted at number one at the box office with 6.9. So it was number one at the box office. Critics respond. There is a critic response to this. If you want to know, Roger Ebert gave the film 0.5 stars out of four and called it a brain damaged, idiotic thriller, not even bad enough to be laughable. Boo, boo, Vincent Conboy, Vincent Canby of the New York Times called the film a wake-up America movie of a goofiness to make one long for the sanity and conviction of John Millis Red Dawn. At least somebody had a right, you know, critic. Robert Ebert, I don't like a lot of his critics there. Adding that though Chuck Norris seemed on the verge of becoming a kind of Benning, Benning Clint Eastwood character, he loses all credibility in this awful film. So part of his uh, critic there was not great, but even though Mr. Norris collaborated on the screenplay and helped to choose the director, Joseph Zito. The movie treats him as if it wanted to prove the that he has absolutely no future on the screen. Variety wrote, A brainless plot would be almost forgivable were it not for the perverse depiction of incosense butchered in Invasion USA star Chuck Norris. Some of those I don't understand, but I really liked it. So, uh, so the novelization was released in October 1985 by Pinnacle Books, a uh, New York-based publishing housing founded in 1974 by Walter Zach 1923-2011. It remains a multi-generational family business. So, and then it says, uh, Jay Chataway's score was released by Pharisee Sabarabande on LP in 1985. It was later released, remastered with many minutes of new material on CD 2008 from Intrada Records. This was the limited edition of 1,000 copies. So... Any of you uh, music files out there uh, or who likes soundtracks, this movie is great, great, great for you. Um, oh, yeah. 
And the comment, the one comment I had on Facebook was, uh, fellow podcaster Bill Van Vagel posted, this is one he has not yet seen that he needs to see. And Bill, definitely you'll have fun. You'll have some things be like, yeah, it's not so good here and there. But ultimately, you'll have fun. Is it a 2B special? No. It's better than a 2B special. It's actually good. You you may be able to watch it on 2B Canada. I'm not sure. But USA, you can. And it's fun. It's just loads and loads of fun. You'll enjoy it. Um, It's like... Put on early afternoon movie or something, you know. Sure, matinee movie, you know, afternoon movie or something. Yeah, it's not a, oh, we got to watch it with lights out or anything. You got to be fully invested in it. You could be eating food while you're watching it or check a post or here and there on Facebook or Twitter or what have you. But, you know, to understand what's going on. But, yeah, it's very fun. One last thing before I go. Nora said this sequence cost uh five mil uh cost fifty million. There are tanks firing. Yeah, Nora said the this sequence cost five million. There are tanks firing and helicopters flying among the real buildings. He said it's a battle like in Gone with the Wind, one of the best action battle scenes that's ever been done so far. So, I can tell you where that scene's at, but you can probably guess. So, that's pretty cool. Um, like I said, I give it a 7. It's fun. 80s. You get the 80s, you know, act action, 80s, you know, uh, music in it. Special effects are done very well. Now, I have a question. Who would you choose as a believable badass action star of the early years like 80s 70s 80s Sylvester Stallone Rambo Arnold Schwarzenegger as the Terminator or Conan or in Predator or Chuck Norris for me I would go with Chuck Norris he looks more believable. He looks like your average tough guy, not somebody who got overly buff on purpose and just spent God loads, God loads of time. He looks like somebody who doesn't have, you know, days and days just to do that and just tough, tough motherfucker, you know? Um, so you can reach me at uh, what you call it? Um, Facebook at Midnight Movie Podcast, and then there's also a group page, Midnight Movie Podcast, and then there's Twitter where I'm usually on is Midnight Movie Pod. It's Midnight M O V I Pod, and that's where I spend most of my time is on Twitter. And you can um, email me at Midnight Movie Pod. At gmail.com. That's midnightmoviepod at gmail.com. Um, put in the comment for in the subject line Monster Madness Podcast, or if you're commenting about 
the Midnight Movie Podcast. Put in Midnight Movie Podcast. I'll get your voicemails played on the air. And hope you enjoyed this episode. And I am your host for this evening's episode of Monster Madness Podcast. I am Terrifier. Thanks for keeping horror, schlock, B-rated action sci-fi movies alive with me. One episode at a time.